Good morning. We're feeding the homeless again this Wednesday, even with it being Thanksgiving week. We'll be there. Yeah. The girls will be there this week. This huh? time. This time. This time. And then the next women's study is... Yeah, that's Are you thinking... Be determined because we have now had into the Christmas months and I... My... Are you thinking maybe after the first of the year you'll finish the book? I hope so. We'll wait till after the first of the year. Probably. Okay. The next men's study will be after the New Year's. We're going to go through the book Radical Prayer by Manny Mill. And the women are going to do the same book. Oh. <laughs> the next year's night will be after the first of the year. And then sign up for emails. Give me your email. We send out an email once a week so you know what's going on. Or you can find it on the website, thechurchne.org. We have a calendar, and it's pretty well up to date with what's going on, when and where. So, Okay. Well, let's pray. Dear Father, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for your love, for your mercy, for your grace. I thank you for your son, Jesus. That he was willing to to sacrifice himself on the cross for each and every one of our sins. I ask that you would lead us and guide us today through this study, and that your words would be spoken, not mine, and that you would um, just speak to our hearts. Lord, I ask that you would um, watch over Scott and Pam, that you would um, just provide them with comfort and healing for Pam, and that you would guide the doctors in their treatment plan. I also ask that you would watch over Aniston this week in her surgery, that you would um, just guide the doctors there that you would watch over each one of us, that you would give us um, hearts to love those around us, that we would love our neighbors, that we would love our enemies, that we would be a light and a witness to you this week. Guide us this week. Speak to us throughout the week. It's in Jesus' name I pray all these things. Amen. So we're going to be back in Romans chapter 13, picking it up in verse 8. But of course, we're going to be all around, all over, lots of verses to cover. So Romans chapter 13, verse 8, last week we went over submitting to governing authority and respecting governing authority and what that looks like then, what that looks like now. And then this week, Paul leads from that, from respecting governing authority to loving our neighbor. And we'll take a, a deeper look at what that means. So Romans chapter 8, or chapter 13, verse 8. Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. For the commandments say, you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, 
You must not steal. You must not covet. These and other such commands are summed up with this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to others. Love is So love fulfills the requirements of God's law. So Paul is saying that we have these things that we're not to do, but the action that we are to do is love. And that those actions that we're not to do, the covet, the murder, the adultery, that you can't live in those and live in love. That they're two opposites. And we've learned in previous studies that love is not a feeling. Our feelings oftentimes will lead us astray or lead us down the wrong path or deceive us. But love is an action. Love is denying ourselves, picking up our cross, following Jesus. Jesus gives us that perfect example of love by his sacrifice on the cross. And that's what love is. And the Greek word for love here is agape. And agape is a self-sacrificing love. This love that, um, that I'm going to serve others. I'm going to put others' needs ahead of my own needs. Others... Um, what they desire, what they need help with, um, I'm going to put that above myself. That's what that means. That's what Jesus did on the cross. Sacrificing himself, putting our needs, our need for a Savior, above his, his own personal desires. He prayed in the garden that if there's any way for God to take that cup away from him, that, that God would do that, but ultimately he wanted God's will to be done. So he put God's will ahead of his own he put our needs ahead of his own. And that's the example of love that we have. So to look at what Paul just said, where he gives us these do nots, we're going to go back to Exodus chapter 20. And we'll start in verse 1. And this is what is known as the Ten Commandments. So we're going to read through these. Um, and this is the more or less the areas not to do, the things not to do. So, Exodus 20, starting in verse 1. Then God gave the people all these instructions. I am the Lord your God, who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other gods but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sin of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. So I want to pause here and talk through this for just a brief moment. Sometimes this could be taken out of context. But in previous study, we studied through that there are no generational curses, that the sins of the parents, the parents pay for those. And the sins of the children, the children's paid for those. And we studied that you know, pretty extensively. God makes that very clear in Ezekiel chapter 18. We won't go there today. But Ezekiel 18.4, God sums it up pretty well. For all people are mine to judge, both parents and children alike. 
And this is my rule. The person who sins is the one who will die, who will pay for that consequence. So God isn't saying here that because the parents sin, the children pay for that. But what God is saying here is absolutely true, that what parents choose to do affects their children. Um, and, and it can either affect your children in a positive way or it can affect your children in a negative way. So when you choose to live in sin, to live a life apart from God, that's going to have an effect on your children. And whether you realize it or not, children are paying attention to you, that they're listening to what you say, what you do, and that you do have an effect on them. And that's what God is saying here. That's what God is saying here, that the, the sins of the parents oftentimes affect the entire family and will affect the children, and that that effect can last for multiple generations. And you can see that with... Many families that maybe you're, maybe your family yourself or families that you're involved in, the people you know, friends or you have, that the parents live in sin and that that sin affects the children and affects the children's children. But it's not an excuse. Well, my parents were this way. I was raised this way. That's not what God's saying. He clears it up very well in Ezekiel 18 that the one who sins is the one who pays for that sin. So it's not an excuse. While I was raised in this tough family, um, I was raised with these parents, um, and this is why I am the way I am. No, no, you are the way you are because you choose that, not because of anything else. But keep in mind, as you grow up, as you have younger people who are looking up to you, what you say and what you do affects them uh, for many generations. So if you ever want to know what you sound like, just listen to your kids. Your kids sound like you, what they say and how they act. So, so we can either affect our children in a good way or we can affect them in a negative way, right? And whether it's even our children or other kids that are around us, um, we all have an influence on the next generation coming up. So I want to clear that up. With, that's what's being said here. It's not this generational curse. It's not God is punishing the children for the parents' sin. No, each one is punished for their own sins. But what God is saying is that we affect the next generation. And those effects can be for multiple generations down the line, either good or bad. So we'll continue on in Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. Again, this is going through the, what's known as the Ten Commandments. You must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished. If you misuse his name, remember to observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath day of rest, dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons, your daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. So we're told here that one day a week we're supposed to rest and that that day should be dedicated to the Lord. Um, now, I don't believe that that necessarily means on Sunday. And people that want to, to get into the, well, the, the Sabbath day should be kept holy. If you're really going to keep it holy, the Sabbath starts Friday at 
6 p.m. and goes through Saturday at 6 p.m. If you're really interested in keeping that day holy. And I don't think that's what God's talking about here. I think what God has given us an example of is that six days are for our ordinary work. And then one day is our day of rest dedicated to him. Now, if you're in a, a line of work, you're a fireman, a police officer, something, and you're scheduled on the weekends and your Sabbath day of rest is on a Wednesday, is that okay? Absolutely, that's okay. That's how, that falls in line with God's design. It's not a certain particular day, but it's one day a week that you're going to set aside and that that's a day set aside for God. Dedicated to the Lord. So that could be Sunday. Often, many times, people do that on Sunday, but that could be on a Wednesday. That could be on a Monday. That could be whatever day of the week is scheduled and that can change throughout throughout from one week to the next as your schedule changes but one day a week we're told to set that day apart for rest and to honor God so continuing on here Exodus chapter 20 verse 12 honor your father and mother then you will live a long and full life in the land the Lord your God is giving you so this one's important this is the first command that God gives with a promise that if you honor your father and mother, he will give you a long life. And God's promises are not like a chance of 50-50. Maybe it'll happen. God's promises are a guarantee. And we kind of went through this last week with honoring or respecting governing authorities. Even when they're not good governing authorities, we still show them respect. This yes, sir, no, sir, right? And what's the point of that? To be a light and a witness to those around us. To be a light and a witness to those governing authorities but also to be a light and a witness here to our parents, right? By being respectful. Yes, sir. No, sir. Even if our parents aren't good people. Um, so continuing on verse 13, you must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely against your neighbor. You must not covet your neighbor's house you must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. So, love cannot go along with any of these things. All these things that we're told to stay away from, you can't be a part of any of those things and claim to be loving. To be loving to anyone else, to be loving to God. And we learned last week... And the week before, that when we claim that we love Jesus, we prove that by obeying his commands. And these are his commands of things we're to stay away from. And these are the opposite of love. Love and these things don't exist together. That's agape love, this self-sacrificing love. This denying yourself, picking up your cross, following Jesus kind of love. That's what we're told here. But what we didn't read is about the loving your neighbor. And for that part... We read that in Romans. Paul gave us this list of things not to do, but the most important command was to love your neighbor. To find that, we need to go to Leviticus chapter 19, starting in verse 11. So again, Leviticus is more of the law. There's, I think, over 600 laws that are, are given here in the Old Testament. So there's quite a few, and it sounds like a lot. It sounds overwhelming. But we'll sum that up here shortly. Sum that up into just two, two commands. So Leviticus chapter 19, starting in verse 11. 
Do not steal, do not deceive or cheat one another. Do not bring shame on the name of your God by using it to swear falsely. I am the Lord. Do not defraud or rob your neighbor. Do not make your hired workers wait until the next day to receive their pay. Which I find that to be an interesting one. You should get paid the same day for the work you do. Do not insult the deaf or cause the blind to stumble. You must fear your God. I am the Lord. Do not twist justice in legal matters by favoring the poor or being partial to the rich and powerful. Always judge people fairly. I find that one very interesting. You're not to favor the poor, but you're also not to be impartial to the rich. You're to judge fairly no matter what the circumstance. Verse 16 Do not spread slanderous gossip among your people. Do not stand idly by when your neighbor's life is threatened. I am the Lord. Do not nurse hatred in your heart for any of your relatives. Comfort or confront people directly so you will not be held guilty for their sin. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So we have a list of things, again, that we're not to do, and one action that we are to do, to love our neighbor. Um, And this is that agape love. This is that denying ourselves, picking up our cross, following Jesus kind of love, and we're going to go to Luke ten twenty five, And here, Jesus himself is going to explain to us, again, this love that we're supposed to have. But he's going to further define who is our neighbor. Because so, here, the, the Israelites or the, the Jews want to kind of say, oh, my neighbor is my fellow Jew. That's, that's who I'm to love. I'm to love my fellow Jews. Which is true, but Jesus here in Luke is going to expand that to, to be even further. Further as to who our lo- who we're to love and who is our neighbor. So this is where we, Jesus gives the the story or the parable of the good Samaritan, and the Samaritans at this time um, were considered a, a half breed of the Jews that, that they had, a race of Jews mixed with Gentiles and and the Jews themselves the breed of Jews always despised them for that um, always had a I would say a deep hatred for them for that so anytime they had to travel if they had to go through Samaria they would gladly go around they'd spend a couple extra days on their journey to go around Samaria so that they didn't have to go there that's how much they despised these people so when Jesus tells them this parable this would have been very shocking and hard for them to accept um, that they're to love their neighbor, love the Samaritans, love these, these people that they deem, that the Jews deemed as unlovable. So, Luke ten twenty five. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? So the law of Moses is the, the first five books of the Bible. 
And that's where we read part of that, partly through that. But Jesus is asking him, well, what does the law say? The law of Moses. What do the first five books of the Bible say? There's lots of regulations, laws in there. How do you read it? And this is how the man answered. Luke 10, 27. The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So he wants to, to justify his hatred for the Samaritans. And, and Jesus knows this. Jesus knows his heart. So Jesus tells him this parable. So Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I will pay you next time I am here. Now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, The one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, Yes, now go and do the same. So this man, this Jewish leader, is trying to trap Jesus and ask him what the most important law is. And then he's asking him, well, who is really my neighbor? And, and Jesus is answering, well, this Samaritan acted like a neighbor to this Jewish man. Shouldn't you go out and do the same? And what he's telling him is, is that everyone is, is his neighbor, including these despised Samaritans. So they would not have liked to have heard that. Have heard that. So our neighbor isn't just um, whoever's in our neighborhood or whoever's in our family or whoever's close to us. Our neighbor is truly everyone around us. It's who Jesus is defining as our neighbor. That we're to love everyone. And that even people that we, for whatever reason, have a, a grudge against or, or a, a hard heart towards, we're to love them. And loving them isn't just tolerating them, isn't just avoiding them, avoiding confrontation with them. Loving them is the same as loving our friends. And the best way I've heard it described is when you're at a, a party or a gathering and one of your friends walks in, what do you do? You walk up to them, you give them a hug, you're excited to see them. What happens when your enemy walks in? Do you, well, I just avoid them. No, 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 that's not what God is saying. God is saying to love them also. Walk up, give them a hug, be excited to see them also which is not easy to do, especially because a lot of times your enemy has done something to you um, that has been hurtful or mean, and, and you don't want that. What you really want is revenge. You want, you want 
justice. You want um, nothing to do with them. But that's not what God's saying. God's saying we're not to avoid them, we're to love them. We're to um, go out of our way, to deny our own feelings, to pick up our cross, to follow Jesus, to love those people who have been mean and hurtful to us. Um, But that doesn't mean that we put ourselves into uh, any abusive situations. That's not what God's saying there. God's saying be respectful to, to everyone, to love everyone, but not to submit yourself to any kind of abuse. That's never okay. And that's not what's being spoken of here. But I do want to go to Matthew 22, verse 35. Because there's another time that another religious leader asked Jesus a similar question. And he makes it kind of very clear. Kind of where Paul was going with this. If We have all these lists of things not to do. But if we follow this one command, that kind of sums up the list of all the things not to do. So, Matthew chapter 22 Verse 35. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important command in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So what Jesus is really saying here is the same as what Paul is saying. That all the law of things we're told to do are really summed up in these two. They're all based off of these two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. So if you can love God, you'd love everyone around you, which includes everyone, even your enemies, and loving yourself. When you do that, you've summed up all the law. So God's, we learned the, last week that, that God's commands are not burdensome. And I would say to you, this is a great example of why. If you can be loving to God first and everyone around you, including yourself, then you're, committed, you're following all of his commands, and that's not a burdensome thing. It's not burdensome to love people. It may be hard to love people. There may be people in our lives that are difficult to love, that treat us harshly, that um, we really would much prefer to avoid for the rest of our lives. Um, but that's not always what we're called to do. We're called to be loving to them, um, to be respectful to them, to treat them with compassion, with kindness, and that's not, not an easy thing to do. And I would say, apart from God, that's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So how do you get to that point where you're loving your enemy, loving your neighbor, not just your good neighbors, but your bad neighbors too, the neighbors that slander you or, or say mean things about you to the rest of your neighbors? How do you love them? I'd say the only way you can do that is with God. Ask God to help you. God, please help me to love this person. Please help me to love this person who's been mean to me, who's wronged me. Help me to love this person who talks bad about me, who makes fun of me at school, who treats me harshly. Help me to love them. And I think that God will answer. We've been over this. What prayers does God answer? When, when your prayers line up with God's will, he answers them every single time. There is no prayer. Jesus said, you can ask for anything in my name. And we went through this. He's talking to believers. And he's talking about when it lines up with his will. That 
he will give, grant you everything you ask for. And loving your neighbor lines up with God's will. We've been over that a few times this morning. So when we pray and ask God to help us for that, help me to love my neighbor, will God help you with that? Absolutely every single time without fail, he will. So that kind of hopefully explains the loving your neighbor part in a little more depth. Who is your neighbor and how do we love them? But we went over this a few weeks ago. I just want to briefly touch on it again. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. 4 through 7. And this is 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is the chapter of love. Paul explains a lot about love. And we won't go through the whole chapter um, we did a few weeks ago. But I do want to go through these few verses that clearly define what love is and what love is not. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting in verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. So to sum that up, we read that love is patient, kind, always hopeful, endures through everything. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. Love rejoices when the truth wins out. Love is not jealous, boastful, proud, rude, demanding, or irritable. Love does not keep record of wrongs, does not rejoice at injustice. So that's the definition of love. That's how God defines love in our lives. The things that it is and the things that it's not. And so if you think that there's any gray area, God clears it up, makes it all very black and white right here. What love is, what love is not. And how, how do we show love to others? Well, we do the things that love does. We are patient with others. We're kind with them. We are always hopeful. We are, love endures through every circumstance. It never loses faith. It rejoices when the truth wins out. That's how we act in love. So we'll go back to Romans 13. Now that we've gone through the commands, all the commands, the Ten Commandments there, and that it's all summed up in loving God with everything we are and loving our neighbor who is everyone around us. That when we do those things, we've summed up them all. So Romans chapter 13, verse 11 and 12 here. This is the more urgent for you. Know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up, for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. So we're studying through Romans chapter and verse. And Paul has led us here in chapter 13 through submitting to governing authority, loving our neighbor. And now he's instructing us that the, the, the time of salvation is near. And what he's saying is that, that Jesus is coming back again. And that 
that time is nearer now than when we first believed in Jesus. And, and that we need to be living lives that reflect that. That, that at any moment he could come back. And, and we don't want to be caught in, in anger and caught in sin and caught in wrong living. We want to be a light and a witness to him. We want to, when he comes back, when he comes back and sees us, we want to be doing his work, his will, is what Paul's saying here. And that we need to remove the dark deeds like dirty clothes in our life and put on the armor of right living, right? So for a better look on that, we're going to go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 4. And look at more of these things of right living in these end days. Um, So first Thessalonians chapter five, verse four. But, but you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters. You won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. For you are all children of the light and of the day. We don't belong to darkness and night. So be on your guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert and be clear-headed. The nighttime is when people sleep and drinkers get drunk. But let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. For God chooses to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive when he returns, we can live with him forever. So encourage each other and build each other up, just as you already have been doing. So we're told to live as children of the light, that we don't belong to the darkness. The darkness is when people do things that are shameful. And we'll look at another definition of that. But we're to live in the light. We're to be a light and a witness to those around us. We're to reflect the light of Jesus. Jesus is the light of the world, and we're to reflect that. We're to be clear-headed. We're to be protected by our faith and love, um, wearing the confidence of salvation. And what does that mean? That we've been over that. Why is the, when we look at the full armor of God, the helmet, the helmet of salvation, and I would say to you that, that God is making it very clear to us that there are no death blows. When you receive Jesus, he doesn't walk away from you. You don't ever lose your salvation. When you received him, ask him into your life, it's it. It's a sealed, done deal. That he never leaves or abandons you. And that's why you have the, the armor, the helmet of salvation, that confidence of our salvation, that guarantee that he will do what he says he, do, he will, that when we receive him, we'll have eternal life. Um, and then verse 9, For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us, Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive when he returns, we can live with him forever. 
So what does that mean that he chose to save us through Jesus and not to pour out his anger on us? And that is when we receive Jesus, when we ask Jesus into our life, that we go to God with a pardon. While we may have sinned and done wrong things, Jesus takes away those sins. Jesus paid the penalty for those sins. And that receiving him, asking him into your life, and that's no right or wrong way to do that. There's many prayers. But one of the more common prayers is, is something along these lines. Jesus, I believe that you are God, that you died for my sins, and that you rose again from the dead, that you are alive and seated at the right hand of God, that you are God, and that I've asked you into my life and into my heart. And if you prayed that ever in your life or anything along those lines, you are saved. It's a done deal, sealed. Nothing can take you away from God. Nothing can separate you from his love. Um, and that whether you're physically have already died or you're alive when Jesus comes back the second time, that we will all be alive with him forever in paradise. That all of us, all of his believers, will be with him for all of eternity. So, be encouraged and build each other up in these things, is what we're told to do. So, receiving Jesus, that's the most important thing. Loving God with all of our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. Um, believing what the Bible says about him, that he is God. Fully human, fully God, came down to earth, lived a sinless life, paid the penalty for our sins, and that when we ask for forgiveness of our sins, God forgives us every time, but God doesn't just forgive, he removes it from our record. And we've seen that so many times when we look at people in the Old Testament, and then we look at them in the New Testament, and the things that they did that were sinful in the Old Testament, we don't read about in the New Testament. And what's in between? Well, Jesus is. Jesus is in between. He paid the penalty for those sins, and they got removed from their record. When the books are open on Judgment Day, all those things that you did wrong, that you asked for forgiveness for, won't be in the books. They won't be recorded anymore. God's not going to bring them up again. When he forgives, he truly forgives. He wipes our record clean. That's how much he loves us. There's no sin too great that he can't forgive us for. We've been over that. There's only one unforgivable sin. And what that really is, is your unbelief in Jesus. If you choose to live your life separate from God and believe that Jesus is not God, that's the only sin that can't be forgiven. That's the only sin that, that won't be wiped away. That's the only sin that separates you from God. All other sins are forgiven. All other sins. All the things that we just read about. Murder, adultery, um, slander, all of that, all can be forgiven. But what can't be forgiven is our unbelief in God. Our unbelief in Jesus and who he is. So, we'll go back to Romans chapter 13. Finish up these last two verses in the chapter. So Romans 13, 13, because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't, don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling or jealousy. Instead, clothe yourselves with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and don't Think about ways to indulge your evil desires. So we're, we have this sharp contrast. That we're to live not in darkness, not in wild parties and drunkenness and sexual promiscuity and quarreling and jealousy and fighting. We're not to live that way. We're to live with the presence of God. He is the light of the world. His light shines on our, our darkest deeds. 
and exposes them. There's nothing done in secret. There's nothing that nobody doesn't, that there's nothing that we've ever done that will be hidden. God knows everything. We may be able to hide it from other people, but you're not going to hide it from God. So God knows all and that we should live, ask for forgiveness for our sins, and then live as people in the light. Does that mean that we're sinless after we receive Jesus? No, but we should send a whole lot less. The things that we did before we knew Jesus, we shouldn't be involved in. While we'll still make mistakes, we'll still fall short of God's glorious standard. We'll still be frustrated and angry with people. We'll still lose our temper at times. It should be less and less as life goes on, as you draw closer to God, as you become more and more like his son. This process of sanctification takes place. That's how you measure up your life. If I look at my life now compared to 10 years ago, is there a stark contrast? Yes, there is. Is it a perfect life now? No, not perfect by any means. You can ask my wife. Still fall short. But you can also ask her, is there a big difference? And I think the answer would be yes. And that's how you know. We had this discussion at the men's Bible study. How do you, oftentimes the enemy wants to deceive us, right? We have... God who tells us one thing, we, we read what God tells us in his word, but then the enemy wants to come against us. You know, this idea that we're saved, that all we have to do is ask Jesus into our life, and that's it, we're done. We ask for forgiveness, he removes it from our record, that there's no sin he won't forgive. We read all that in the Bible, but then oftentimes the enemy wants to come against us. Well, yeah, you can be forgiven for that, but there's no way God will forgive you for this. Or are you really saved? If you were really saved, you probably wouldn't have had this thought, or you probably wouldn't have said this thing. Are you really saved and on and on the list goes, right? But when we choose to believe God, that's what faith is, believing God at his word. And his word is right here in the Bible that we can dismiss all those other thoughts as attacks from the enemy. That the enemy wants to attack us and deceive us. The enemy can't take away our salvation, but the enemy can get us out of position, can distract us, can make us ineffective for doing God's work. And that's what the enemy wants to do. And the enemy knows that he can't take away our salvation, but does want to try and deceive us that he can. But we can choose to believe the enemy, or we can choose to believe in God. Believe what God says about us, that we're his children. And that this, Paul's leading up to this, has made it clear that this struggle of, of things that are good and things that are not good in our lives, even Paul wrestled with. Even Paul wrestled with as a, a very mature believer. He still wrestled with these things. So you'll still wrestle with them all throughout your life. But choose to press into God. Choose to spend time every day in prayer with God. Spend every, time, every day in his word. Whether that's one verse or that's three chapters. Whatever it is. Spend time in his word every day. Spend time in prayer with God every day. Continually try to put God in the front of your mind. And watch how he changes your life. Watch how he does an amazing work through you. He doesn't need us. But he chooses to work through us. He chooses to do his work through us. He could do it on his own without us, but he chooses to use us. So we're going to finish up today in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. So Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. 
Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. So be careful how you live. Don't live like the fools, but live wisely. Make the most of every opportunity. And how do we make the most of every opportunity? We're continually being a light and a witness. We're being patient in times when our patience is tested. When we have long lines, when we're checking out at Home Depot and it's taking forever. When it takes them forever to get the the wire cut right and spooled up, we're patient with them, right? Because if we lose our patience, we lose our light and our witness. And we're told to make the most of every opportunity. And we're thinking, I think sometimes we get caught up thinking these are big opportunities. God wants me to go do this big, great work for him. No, oftentimes God just wants you to do the little things right. Be patient with everyone in every circumstance. Be loving to everyone in every circumstance. Be that light and witness. Don't act like the rest of the world who loses their patience quickly, but endure through things that are unfair, things that are not right, unjust, and be patient and loving through those. That's what we're to do. That's how we make the most of every opportunity in these, in, in these last days, in these evil days. So don't act thoughtlessly. Think through your actions and understand what the Lord wants you to do. So how do we understand what the Lord wants us to do? Well, we pray and we ask him. We ask him to lead us, to guide us. Um, one of my favorite stories in the Bible is Jonathan and his armor bearer. Um, and this is around the time of, of King David and King Saul. And Jonathan is King Saul's son. And, and Jonathan and the, the entire Israelite um, army is surrounded by the Philistines and it looks pretty grim and hopeless that they're about to be wiped out and Jonathan has this idea well maybe we should go and fight me and my armor bearer and and see what maybe we should go fight them but he wants to make sure that this is from God so he prays and asks God God is this is from you when we get to the bottom of the hill if the Philistines tell us to come up and fight, we'll know that you're with us and we'll go fight them. But if they tell us to stay where we're at, they're, they're going to come down and kill us and we'll know that this isn't from you and we'll turn and we'll walk away. So this is out of Jonathan's control. He can't control what they say, but God can. God can, can change those words, can, can control what the Philistines are going to do. So Jonathan and his armor bearer walk to the bottom of the hill. When they get to the bottom of the hill, the Philistines see him and they say, come up here, you dirty dogs, we're going to kill you. And they say, okay, well, this is our sign from God. So they go up, these two men, and they fight this entire army. And they kill 25, and the, the two men are fighting back to back. And they kill 25 Philistines, and they're strung all throughout this field. And then God uses that to cause panic among the Philistines, and they flee. They're getting ready to wipe out the Israelite nation, and, they, and it looks like everything's groom, dim, and dark. And God uses two men, leads them, they don't do it on their own pridefully. They do it. We want to know that this is your will, God, and we trust you. And they go up and they fight and they kill these 25 men, fight back to back, and that causes this panic somehow. God is able to use that to cause panic, and the entire Philistine army leaves. So I use that oftentimes in my life. God, this could be from you or not. You know, I don't pray for that. I don't ask God um, these questions when it's clear in his word. God, should I love my neighbor or should I be mad at him? Well, God already made that clear. I don't need to ask for that, right? I can ask God to help me for that. But when it's something that could be from God or not, just like this one from Jonathan, could that be from God to go fight the Philistines? Yes. Or could that be his own evil um, desires to be prideful? Look at what I've done. Sure, that could be. So he wants to know for sure, and he asks God to give him a clear sign. And God does every single time. So and oftentimes I use that in my life. 
So it's not that God is just wandering through life aimlessly. He has a plan and a purpose for each one of us. And it's not hard to figure out what that plan and purpose is. We just need to pray and ask him and trust that he's going to lead us and guide us. And ask him for a clear sign. God, if this is from you, I'm going to do this. And if this is what I met with, if this is what the the Philistine army says to me, I'll know that this is the direction I head. And if this is what they say, then I'll know this is the direction to head. And leave it up to God. And he will answer and he will be faithful every single time. So continuing on here in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So don't indulge in these worthless pleasures of the world, but instead sing praises to God. Give thanks to God for everything in our lives. Even the, even the, the situations and the circumstances that aren't good that are difficult we're to ask we're to praise god and thank him for that thank him for the opportunity that he's going to grow our faith that he's going to test our patience that he's going to help us increase our endurance our walking with him in everything we do do it in the name of jesus right wear the name of jesus like a badge of honor in our lives remember that other people are watching us whether it's our children whether it's our neighbors whether it's our family or our friends And are we being a good witness to Jesus or are we being a bad witness? When we claim to be a Christian, we are a witness, no matter what. But we're either a good witness or we're a bad witness. And we should be striving, and that's what Paul's saying here in these last few verses of Romans, and what we've gone through in in Thessalonians and here in Ephesians, is that we should be striving to be that good witness. There's a life of, of doing immoral things, And there's a life of living in the light. And we should strive to live in the light. And ask God to help us with that. Help us to live in the light. To be a light and a witness to him. So, with that, this morning, I did come across one other area. It won't be up on the screen. I just want to read it it to you quickly. But it seemed to fit in pretty well, perfectly with what, uh, what our message was today. Especially when it relates to love. And this is in 1 John chapter 4. I'll just read it to you. Starting here in verse 7. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed us how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us so much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. So, I read through that this morning, and that seemed to tie in pretty well with us talking about love. But more or less, God is love. And I like that. I like to think of it that way. I like to understand God that way, who he is, who his characters, characteristic traits are. And who is God? God is love. 
So, with that, that's the end of our study. You guys have any questions? Yes. <laughs> Do you? Mm-hmm. Just two. Just two? Okay. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We're a light and a witness to everyone around us. So we can have a good influence on people, both younger kids or older kids, or we can have a bad influence on them, right? Doesn't not dependent on age. Yes. No, you're absolutely correct. Okay. Okay. Next question. Um, why can't non believe be forgiven? Like what if they want to believe? Can't they ask for forgiveness? That's a very good question. So God gives us many promises, and many of the promises we really read about are for believers, right? So can you, if you don't believe that Jesus is God, but you believe that he can take away your sins, there's kind of a contradiction there, right? You kind of have to get everything in order. And the first step is, and that's when we study through the job of the Holy Spirit, the first thing the Holy Spirit does is convict us of our one sin. What's our singular sin? Well, none of us just have one sin in our lives. Before we know Jesus, we all have many sins. But the one sin that the Holy Spirit convicts us of is our unbelief in Jesus as God. So that's kind of first things first. So the first step is you believe that Jesus is God. And then, if you believe that, you believe that he can forgive you for all of your sins, right? But if you, if you can't believe that he's God, how do you believe that he can forgive you for sins? Does that make sense? It's kind of like coming to God your own way. Well, I don't want this part of you, God, but I want this part. I don't want to receive your son Jesus in my life, but I want your forgiveness. Well, you don't get to come to God your own way. He's explained to us how we come to him. Does that make sense? Kind of. Do you have another question that relates to that? Or do you want me to clear it up more? Um, I was just wondering because the thing when you said anybody can be forgiven for any sins, I was like maybe thinking like if you didn't believe in Jesus and you wanted to come to know him and like all of like, like you didn't care, you wanted to just come to know him. I was just thinking maybe like you'd get that chance to know and you'd be forgiven and it wouldn't be in the records and Yes. Okay. That part it's not anyone could be for anyone can be forgiven for any sin, but there's kind of a process. You gotta believe in Jesus first, that he's God, receive him in your life, and then he can forgive all of your sins, no matter what they are. And then he removes them from your record. They're never brought up again. Okay. Does that and make that's- sense? Murdering—it's it's all a sin, right? And so yeah. can be forgiven. Yeah. So all sins. Some sin is worse than others. Well, make it right, correct? 
all, all sin separates us from God. Then you don't have a repentant heart. Then you're not repent. You don't have a repentant heart if you continue to willingly live in sin. Oh yeah. How does that? Yeah. What's the definition of repentance? What I always understood is repentance is to turn around and not do it again. Yeah. That is correct. That is correct. So, so yeah. So there's a couple things there. One, all sin separates us from God, but not all sin is the same. And we made that. God makes that clear. Jesus makes that clear with another one of his parables, where he says. There's two men that were forgiven, one a very large debt from his master and, and one a smaller debt. And he asked the, the Pharisee who he's talking with, who do you think loves their master more? And he says, well, the one that was forgiven the larger debt. And he says, you're correct. So we know that there's, diff- there's different severities of sin. There's, there's different debts that are forgiven. While all sin separates us from God, not all sin is equal. And so when you're talking about you receive Jesus, you've asked for forgiveness, but then you continue to live, to do the same things over and over again. Well, you're not coming with a repentant heart, right? And a repentant heart means that I've, I've sinned, I've recognized that it's sin, I confess it, and I'm asking you to forgive me, God, and I want to live the life opposite of that. And does that mean that you you ever fall into that one sin again, or, or you ever make that mistake again? Yes, you can make that mistake again. Are you still a believer? Yes, you're still a believer. But if you continue to live that life, you continue to go down this way, God, forgive me, I, I want to receive you and, and repent of my sins, but you continue to live the exact same way after that, well, you never repented. You never changed your life, right? So there's a difference between receiving God in our minds. We can know who God is, know who Jesus is in our minds, but if it doesn't sink into our hearts, if it doesn't change our lives, then you never really received him. Does that make sense? So, so there's a, a difference between having a head knowledge of who God is and having a heart knowledge of who he is. And, and God makes that clear. James makes that clear um, where he says, okay, so you believe that there's one God? Good for you. Even the demons believe this and they tremble in fear. Well, how do the demons believe? The demons believe because the demons were fallen angels and they've seen God. They know God, right? So they, they have this head knowledge of them but not this heart knowledge. And there's a difference there. So we can have a head knowledge of God, but not be saved. You know, it's confessing with our mouth and believing in our heart that we're saved. What's Romans 10, 9. Between the devil and a demon. The devil and the demon. The devil is only one person. is Lucifer. And, and the demons are the other fallen angels. And he's Lucifer, the devil, is the, the leader of these other fallen angels. So, so yeah, so when we talk about am I saved or not, if, if you continue to live this life and nothing has changed, well, you would have to question, am I really saved? You know, if I, my life has never changed, I do the same thing I did when I was, before I confessed my belief in Jesus, well, 
did you really receive him in your heart then? That's the, that's the one unforgivable sin, is your unbelief in Jesus. So that's the only thing that can't be forgiven. How does, how does God look at what, I mean, when you go to God, you go, I'm struggling with belief, I'm struggling, I'm asking for help. How does that play into his plan? Is that still a sin? It's still a sin, but is it an unforgivable sin? No. The, I believe it was the man that came asking Jesus to heal his daughter and and said, I believe, but help me with my unbelief, right? So, so there's unbelief out there. Thomas would be another one. Thomas, doubting Thomas. Right. Oh, I'm not going to believe until I see him. Then he sees Jesus and he believes, right? Jesus doesn't rebuke him for that. You know, now that he's seen, okay, you've asked, and now you know the truth, do you believe? So, so struggling with belief is not, doesn't separate us from God. It's, it's really a heart issue. Did you receive God? Do you, did you receive that Jesus is God, confess with your mouth that he's God, and believe in your heart that he's God? And when you believe in your heart, I once lived a life this way, and now I live a life the opposite way. Not a perfect life, but a life with a whole lot less sin. Is there, is there a difference? You know, in that moment in time when you receive God, is my life different than it was before? And that's really what you have to ask yourself. And if you can answer yes to that, then I'd say, yes, you are saved. <laughs> yeah. Or this isn't as bad as that, or or the somebody that walks, walks kind of tries to walk the walk, talks the talk but doesn't walk the walk. And I think if and how does God look at that? Do you yeah. know what I mean? Oh yeah. Well, and like, that's what people are always asking. I shouldn't say people. When it comes up this question, like what's the what's the line of salvation? Well, there is no thin line. It's it's a pretty broad line in my mind and when you're trying to define it as a thin line like it's almost like what's the bare minimum i have to do to be saved why do you want to just do the bare minimum why wouldn't you want to jump well across that line so you're not in this area of doubt in your life you know and what that's really what what paul is saying here in romans and what we've gone through is is don't don't live this life that's close to that line with a life that's far apart from that give up all these earthly things these worldly things that you won't miss that aren't good for you anyways give up all those desires and live this life far across this line of salvation don't don't try and live your life right on the line or just one step because what if your one step isn't the right step is what you're really asking and it's that's a good question and that's not one that's really definable other than it's a heart issue and for each person it's different what does that mean for their hearts? So I receive Jesus in my heart. Well, if you love him, they obey his commands. And his commands are all throughout, and, and he's always speaking to us. You know, God always speaks to us, especially when we're reading through his word. That's him literally speaking to us, telling us this how to live our lives. So he's telling us how to live, and do we believe him enough? Do we believe in Jesus that we're going to follow what he says is really what it comes down and to. And in your, what was good was how you said how love thy neighbor, because if you truly love God and love thy neighbor, then you wouldn't 
disobey yep. all of those other things, and that's how you falls wouldn't, in line with. Because yep. okay. then you wouldn't covet your neighbor's things. You wouldn't you steal wouldn't from your neighbor. Steal you wouldn't. Your word if you truly loved, it wouldn't, yep. there wouldn't be an excuse. There would be no excuse. Oh, yeah. Regardless. And then when it comes to the murder and adultery, Jesus goes on to define that further in the New Testament that it's not the act of committing murder or adultery, it's in your mind. You have hatred in your mind towards someone where well, you've already murdered them in your mind is what he's saying. That's sin. Or, or maybe you haven't committed adultery, but you have lust in your heart for something. Then you've already committed that sin is what he's saying. So he, he goes on to define it even further. And it's not just the act of actually doing it. If you've done it in your mind, then you've already committed that sin. So... talked about it at the men's study you know how becoming more mature believer so you have this these thoughts in your minds and you act on them you're probably more of an immature believer you get to the point where you have these thoughts in your minds but you don't act on them they just stay in your mind and you're quick to ask god or forgiveness for that thought you're becoming a more mature believer but where do you ever get to the point where you don't wrestle with those thoughts in your minds and i'd say not on this side of eternity because even paul in his later life as a very mature christian wrestled with these thoughts he says why do i do the things i hate yeah, <laughs> yeah. why do i do yeah. these things i hate and, and all these things so paul even wrestled with that so just because you wrestle with the these ideas of sin or even wrestle with the actions of sin doesn't make you not a christian doesn't even make you not a good christian i think people have a hard time saying that paul wasn't a good christian but he wrestled with all these things so wrestling with it does not make you a bad christian choosing to ignore it and say oh it's not that bad rationalize it that's what that's what makes you a probably not a good christian well god it's really not that big a deal everybody else is doing the same thing i'm just following in line with them god well now you're trying to rationalize your sin wrestling with sin and struggling with sin you'll do that all throughout your life but we were always told to judge your maturity as a christian is when i have a sinful thought or did something sinful does it, how long does it take me to ask God to forgive me? Do I rationalize it and argue with God for a week? That's ah, not that big a deal. Or as soon as I say it or as soon as that thought comes in my mind, I recognize it and I ask for forgiveness. You know, that's kind of the difference, if that makes sense. So, so struggling and wrestling with sin will do that all throughout our lives. But this process of sanctification, becoming more like, like Jesus is what God is doing. That can you look at your life now compared to, to last year, or two years ago, or five years ago? And, and are you closer to Jesus? Are you more like him? Or are you the same as you always have been? Or are you further apart? And, and if you're not more like him, then reevaluate your life. Don't think of yourself higher than you ought to, Paul said. Here, we studied that a couple weeks ago. Reevaluate your life and, and live 
remove those things. That's what, that's what he's saying here. Remove these things in your life that aren't good, that aren't bringing glory to God, that don't line up with God's word. Remove them from your life and live a different life. So, and that's not easy to do. We have lots of habits and, and lots of things, but, but the power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that lives in us, the same power that can resist those sins, that can change our life. So we just have to believe in that. Make sense? Do you have any more questions? you have any questions? Not this time? Okay. Okay. Let's pray. Let's pray and we'll sing one more song. Dear Father, I just thank you so much for this day, for this time to come together to learn more about you, more about your character, more about who you are, that you are love. And I'm so thankful for that. And that when I look at, at the Bible, when I view it through those words, that you are love, I begin to understand more fully who you are, that you are a loving God, that you care for each and every one of us, that your desire is that all of us would repent, receive you, and and be saved. And that's your desire for all of us. And I'm so thankful for that. I ask that you'd speak to our hearts this week, that you would lead us, that you would guide us, that you would help us to be a light and a witness to those around us. Lord, I ask that you would watch over again Pam and Scott, and that you would guide them, that you would watch over Aniston, that you would guide all these doctors in their surgeries, that you would bring healing to Matt's knees, that you would bring healing to Joey's knee, that you would um, just guide Christina and the doctors with her heart, that you would guide Bonnie and the doctors with her surgeries, that you would just skillfully watch over their hands, guide their hands as they perform the surgery, and and guide their minds as they come up with these treatment plans for all these people, that you would just be in control of all that, that you would bring healing to them, that you would bring strength and guidance for Ming this week, um, that you give us each the right words to speak to those around us, that you would um, watch over the sheriff's department, the, the local police departments, that you would protect these men and women both physically but also protect them spiritually that you would keep the enemy from lying to them deceiving them that they are on the the front line battle of this spiritual warfare that you would protect them draw them closer to you open their eyes reveal yourself more to each one of them that you would guide us to a church that we could support um, over in the, the south sudan or somewhere in that area that you would lead us and guide us in that area i thank you for all you do for us It's in Jesus' mighty name I pray all these things. Amen. Amen. Should we sing one more song? Yes. Yes. Hey, Matt, can I just make one more more prayer request? Yes. That, um, especially in light of um, what all of us um, that we've died as our family and properly dealing with our mother and um, walking, talking the talk and walking the walk and, and just patience and, and forgiveness for not, for just the frustration and the anger and the and peace, give us, give her and give her peace. She, her, I will say, she, she, her peace. I did pray for that. Peace in her her mind. Peace in her mind. I think she's Peace and truth in her mind because I think it's nice. 
Pray for that right now.